Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au.
3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au, 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan, with Sally first broadcasting Sunday afternoons from noon through 1 Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. And 3CR broadcasts from the lands of the Kulin Nation, and we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello to any Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people tuning in. And acknowledge, of course, that sadly, that all the lands were stolen and never ceded and that reconciliation is an ongoing process where we all need to play a part to achieve it as quickly and as effectively as possible. As stated, I'm Sally Goldner. I use the pronouns she, her. And Out of the Pan is a show covering pansexual issues, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender or, in well, there'll be a range, some degree of range of genres on the show today. And opened up today with you too and Sunday Bloody Sunday. Tell you why we played that in a second. There's ways to get in touch with the show, the modern means of communication. You can email out of the pan eight five five at gmail.com. You can SMS six one four five six seven five one two one five. You can tweet at Sal Gold said so, and that's the bottom line. And look for posts on Facebook on 3CR, uh, Out of the Pan 3CR, 855 AM Melbourne, or my page Sally Goldner AM. And any opinions I express on the show are my own, not those of any organisation with which I've been associated past or present. Possible content warnings, um, low-level mentions of homophobia and biphobia for the upcoming interview that will start about now. Um, what is the interview about and why did we play Sunday, Bloody Sunday? Because on Friday, Just Equal announced some research into um, the situationary blood donations in Australia, which sadly um, is not inclusive enough, to put it mildly, of gay and bisexual men, which we'll, and there's three words there to define, um, that we want to talk about. And we, um, I'm joined on the show um, by my guest, um, who's up there at around eight minutes past 12, eight minutes past 11, Australian Eastern Standard Time in Queensland, Sharon Dane. Sharon, welcome to Out of the Pan on 3CR. Good morning, Sally. It's great to have you with us, and if it's okay to ask, can I just check in with which pronouns you use, if any? Yes, she and her. Cool. And um, there was one other detail that we just had to clarify, if we if we can, um, if you were able to find it out. Yes, I am. Um, I'm living in Albany Creek, so that's the land of the Yugo Rabble people. Thank you for acknowledging that. Um, and I should declare that I've been doing some, or say, voluntary consulting to the committee slash board of Just Equal Australia, declaring that interest, um, because you're here today on behalf of Just Equal to talk about an issue that's, well, it's sadly, you know, sort of been on the, the list to deal with um, for some time, and that's the issue of um, who, based on sexuality and to some extent gender and possibly other, we'll say, attributes, can donate blood in Australia, and you've done some research on this um, for Just Equal. Um, perhaps let's um, start by setting the scene. What is the current situation in Australia as to who can donate blood and who is considered, um, well, who is, I'll, use, I'll start with my more diplomatic words, who are often excluded um, from doing so? Right. So so all people are screened um, in Australia for um, blood donation prior to, to giving blood. Um, however, as a group of people, men um, and trans women who have sex with men are deemed as a group to not be able to donate blood without abstaining from sex 
for three months, even if they're in a long-term relationship with a partner. But this doesn't apply to anyone else. Um, and that's been, um, well, at least Lifeblood Australia argues that this abstinence period um, is to do with the higher incidence of HIV amongst that population. However, mm -hmm. um, all the countries, including the UK, that have moved away from this, um, applying a risk to a whole group of people in favour of an individual risk assessment that applies to everyone, regardless of their gender or the gender of their sexual partner, have decided to use um, a, a, an assessment where they actually ask people individually about the type of sexual behaviour they've had recently. Um, in the UK, for example, you can actually um, have multiple partners, provided you haven't had sex with multiple partners. Anal sex with multiple partners, sorry, beg your mm -hmm. pardon. Um, however, you can have anal sex with your, you know, one-term or long-term partner. Um, so this is very different from Australia, where there's just this blanket um, deferral policy, regardless of your um, sexual behaviour, if you happen to be a man or a trans woman who has sex with men. Um, the, also, the issue is, I guess, the vast majority of um, men who have sex with men do not have HIV. Mm. Uh, I think Australia proposes around 10% is the incidence, but that has been based on um, bias samples of men surveyed by AIDS councils, for ex example, where you would expect the incidence to be higher. Um, recently, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration estimate that the most likely incidence of HIV among men who have sex with men is less than 1%. Mm -hmm. If that is the case, then the remaining 99% of those who don't have HIV are being asked to abstain from sex, even with their long-term partner mm. in Australia. There's so many um, thoughts that come out of that. I mean, um, you know, the um, fact that you can't have safe sex with a partner of your choice, which has to be, I'm not a, a human rights lawyer, but sounds in plain language like a violation of human rights and real freedoms. Um, but the thought, the thought that pricks my ears up as a, as a person who identifies as part of what might be called the trans and gender diverse grouping is the definition of men <laughs> and yeah. you know, definition of women and where do non-binary people fit in. And whilst it's not my lived expertise, then I suppose then there has to be some um, questions asked about how people with intersex variations have, um, um, go in all of this, but my um, trying to be, well, it's almost hard, I say this, to be serious because I know of trans women who have just been told outright, well, you're a man, you're in a relationship with a man, your gender's being denied, and you're sort of caught up in this. So um, it's a lot to unpack there, but how? what is the current policy in terms of unpacking that? And I suppose you've got to ask about trans men as well. Where do they fit in? Well, exactly. And in Australia, I'm looking at the rules there that it doesn't apply to intersex for some reason or other. Um, and and neither does it apply to trans um, men. Hmm. So it's based on, I guess, um, whatever was on your birth certificate at the time, but not applying to intersex. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, it makes far more sense, I guess, which is where I guess countries are moving towards this, to actually look at the behaviour rather than the category that they mm. deem people belong to. Um, that actually will mean that more people that maybe are getting through now um, without being asked those questions will be picked up if they're not safe. So it actually, um, if anything, could make blood donation safer than it currently is. That's Having 
Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that's a good point, but you keep going. (laughs) I was saying, um, having said that, though, you know, a lot of research now, and this is why I guess countries are changing, it's not because they've just thought about the issue about discrimination and exclusion that is involved here, but they're looking at the scientific evidence and um, their reason for changing to individual risk assessment is because the empirical evidence that we have now from a number of countries has found that even when taking into account the possibility of a higher rate of HIV among what what they deem to be men who have sex with men um, is so small that Mm. it's not considered what you call a meaningful risk. So no no screening is like 100% risk free. They found that like using modeling and all that, especially I think it was a French study, um, one of the better studies of, of the lot, was found that even if there was a risk, it would be like, you know, one in so many million um, that might just slip through. Doesn't mean that it would infect someone, but just would slip through into the into the blood supply. Now, that happens anyway. HIV is not the only blood-borne disease mm. that's been screened. And so it always is sort of like we will never have anything that's 100% risk-free but is the risk meaningful? Um, and the answer to that question, based on all the new studies coming out now, is no, it's not. And that the benefits far outweigh whatever small risk there might be. Australia, for whatever reason, is sticking to the argument that, you know, you know, there's a, this higher risk amongst of, of HIV amongst the population of men who have sex with men um, and trans women who have sex with men. But that's ignoring the fact that all the other countries that have moved away from this also have that risk. Mm. And I suppose now I'm not—I'd be the first to say this isn't my as big an area of expertise as say trans and bi issues for someone like myself. But um, there's all you know, as, and I'm. But the one thing that I'm—I think is thoughtful of you to mention is that there's lots of ways, sadly, that. Um, bloodborne viruses can be transmitted through blood transmission. A dear friend of mine um, who experienced thalassemia um, needed regular blood transfusions and unfortunately got um, one of the variations of hepatitis through a blood blood transfusion. So, um, you know, things can get through, I suppose, um, of all sorts, whether it's HIV, other bloodborne viruses and we'll say similar situations regardless of the screening. So that's where I wanted to um, ask about, let, I'll go to the next step, try to keep this in logical progression, and that is talk about your research and what exactly it covers in light of these current, well, let's just call them, you know, severe shortcomings in the Australian policy. Yeah. Um, well, the research is very complicated for one because it's all medical research. Um, they're clinical studies that have um, looked at, for example, comparing They've had, in one case, I think it was the Netherlands, where they looked at, uh, they take blood samples from uh, gay men in the population um, on a regular basis, testing for HIV. So they looked at that in relation to uh, men that they deemed as non, men who weren't having sex with men, so the general population of men. And they looked at the difference in the risk of that um, HIV being entering into the blood supply. Um, once again, they came up with there being absolutely there was no there was no meaningful risk. Like there was no difference between the two. Mm. Other studies have actually looked at the blood itself, you know, that was being donated, um, and compared HIV amongst um, men who had sex with men who donated versus uh, 
the straight population of men who donated. Once again, there was no difference between those two groups in terms of um, HIV infection or any of the major, what they call like, like level A um, bloodborne diseases. There were some differences between groups on the lower level, um, like um, what they call level B, but none of the level A. So, you know, there's this perception also that um, if, the, if HIV is slightly higher amongst, um, not as high as they, they are, like Australia uh, lifeblood is expecting to be saying 10%, but even if it is higher than the general population, which is possible, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that applies to the men who are about to donate blood because people who donate blood are usually fairly self-conscious you know, or aware of doing the right thing. Otherwise they wouldn't be bothered. We don't get paid in Australia to donate blood. Mm. So it's an altruistic thing. So if you think you've been engaged in risky behavior, you're not likely, it's not impossible, but you're not likely to say, put up your hand to donate blood. It's not, not like just your date taking a random sample of gay men and saying, go donate blood. And yeah. oops, we've got HIV in there. You know, these, it's so, it's very much about what is the risk among um, men, I say men who have sex with men that are deemed, men that are deemed to be mm -hmm. men who have sex with men, um, of actually having HIV that want to donate blood. That, risk would have to be so small um, and the other issue is we have right now screening for HIV is very sophisticated uh -huh. not like it was 20 years ago when there were you know these blanket bans it is very sophisticated so something getting through although it does is very rare and it doesn't warrant um in my opinion, having read what I've read, it, and, and a lot of scientists are saying now, it doesn't warrant excluding a whole group of individuals based on their a characteristic rather than their behavior. Um, it also limits how much safe blood we can get into the blood supply, especially at times like COVID. That's why that is really actually the other is issue is here. Australia was 12 months. There was a 12-month abstinence requirement for men who have sex with men and trans women who have sex with men um, in Australia. And that was changed to three months. And that was due to COVID. Yeah. So because we're in times of need, they thought, okay, well, we'll take a few more risks apparently, right? But having done that, uh, nothing has slipped through so far. We're not aware of any HIV cases getting through the net by reducing it. In fact, um, there is... Um, I'm trying to think of his title, but I'd like to say it. he's. Uh, I'll read it out here. He is the um, da, 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 the chairman of Mark Garman, the vice president of the medical affairs and innovation of um, Heber Quebec Canada, so the blood supply for Canada. Yep. He notes that there is not a single documented case of HIV contamination that can be attributed to the implementation of a temporary deferral policy for men who have sex with men. That was 2020. That he right. wrote in his okay. So all these things are being put in place. These policies are being put in place. It, it appears to be more on fear yep. than actual science. Yeah, it does seem... Very irrational because what I'm hearing is, okay, and I want to get to this in detail in a second, you've got questions that look at individual behaviour. It then seems to me that once you've donated, there is some, um, This is I don't know if this is the right word, we'll say anal analysis might be a good neutral word of the blood yep. to make sure it's 
we'll say, of the most appropriate standard, and then it can be used for transfusions, whatever else. So there seems right. like there's lots of checks and balances. So why, you know, why exclude groups of men? And you know, gay and bi men, of course, face um, varying and um, um, sort of um, situations of stigma for being who they are. Um, some similar, some different for each group, and then trans yep. people as well, um, which only adds to it. Right. Um, so the thing that I wanted to get to is how in, a, say, a better process, rather than just doing this blanket ban approach, we screen people on behaviour and how that is done, let's say, in a way that is respectful of everyone's identity, behaviour, um, the whole thing, um, you know, that doesn't you know, leave people feeling awkward or anything like that, because that's obviously <laughs> important if we're going to get to a, more, a much better policy and, and process. Absolutely. Um, and and hats off to the UK because, I mean, not, the UK is not the only country. There's the Netherlands, the UK, Argentina, Israel, um, and soon to be Germany and France by the looks of it. Also the US and Canada are looking um, at moving forward. So it's how it's done. And the, the UK model seems to be, um, you know, the most inclusive, I guess, from the information we have, Okay. Um, everyone gets basically asked the, the basic uh, sexual behavior questions like, have you been treated for syphilis or gonorrhea in the last 12 months? Uh, if they say yes, they require further information. Have you had sex after taking recreational drugs, including Viagra and cannabis in the last three months? If they say yes, then they have to defer. They can't donate. Have you had more than one sexual partner or a new sexual partner in the last three months? If they say no, they can donate. If they say yes, then it's about have you had anal sex in the last three months? So the anal sex is the def defining question. That's what Got they call it. the gateway question, okay? Um, but only if it's been with someone new or someone um, more than one sexual partner. Mm -hmm. So basically if you, um, you have anal sex with your, you know, longer-term partner, that's absolutely fine. And this get, question gets asked of everyone. Right. Okay, so um, this way it also picks up on people like, for example, heterosexual men that maybe, you know, you know, who don't even consider themselves to be really having sex with men or whatever it is in their heads. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it really makes um, in a lot of ways it's safer that you may pick up on people who normally are not in that exclusion group that may be having taking risky behavior as well. Well, so, this is the thing. I mean, anyone, I will say, of any body, including sex characteristics, gender identity, sexuality, could be having anal sex and could be doing it in different ways. Yes, it could be with, we'll say, a physical part of someone's body. And I know I'm being a little coy there because I'm aware that we are well before 9 p.m. in whatever time zone. Um <laughs> But, you know, there's ways. That, um, the question, of course, is whether it's being done safely, whether the appropriate protection of condoms, dams, whatever is being used, um, you know, in terms, um, not so much dams, I would imagine, in terms of anal sex. But, um, you know, and it's just is, is practice and hygiene being followed? And, of course, that could be, as you say, I mean, you know, a heterosexual, a heterosexual woman who has one monogamous partner being a heterosexual cisgender male could be having anal of some sort. Um, and, Absolutely. Yeah. So that and they and they would be free to donate without in Australia. You know. Yeah. So um, that that's and that's where the inequality comes mm. about. 
um, yeah. and try and using the argument that oh it's because there's a higher rate of HIV amongst um, men who have sex with men and you know that's the MSM population um, doesn't hold um, when you really think about the fact that all the countries that have moved away also have that issue whatever that rate is we don't really know for sure what that rate is um, but you know, we do, like I said, the, um, the American Food and Drug Administration thinks that that true rate is less than 1%. Yep. So, um, of, you know, men that are likely to donate and all that. So it's like, no, it's not as high as Australia is um, saying it is based on biased samples in the past. Mm. Um, and and the main thing is, even if you, we were to say, okay, well, that let's hypothetically say, okay, well, the rate is high. The tests, the, all the evidence and the modelling and the actual clinical studies that have been done have focused on the fact that that might be the case and it's still showing that the risk is still very, very small, so small that it's not considered a meaningful risk. Yep. So whichever way you look at it, whether you mm. believe the incidence rate is higher or lower, it's still not a risk because the worst-case scenario situations have been taken into account in the research that's being done. Okay, so... Um, I guess I, why Australia is not responding to this research and why they're just mm. saying this blanket response that we get, like, oh, we don't have an even distribution of HIV in this country, um, really doesn't make much sense given we're no different from the countries that have moved, you know, yeah. have moved um, to change. Yeah. And the it's – the other argument that will probably come about, I'm preempting this, mm -hmm. is Australia may, you know, think it's um, satisfying the, the LGBTIQ population by saying, okay, maybe they'll allow it for plasma donation. Um, this is a step that some other countries have taken, not the UK that I know of. Um, they've gone straight from um, to whole blood donation. Mm -hmm. But plasma donation is something different. Um, and I have a feeling it's about to come up, um, and therefore, you know, the LGBTIQ population needs to be prepared uh, prepared for that. Mm. And what does this mean? And plasma donation is uh, different from whole blood donation in the sense that um, your blood is taken and it's separated and then it's put back into your body. So you have a machine that you're hooked mm -hmm. up to and your blood goes through, it separates, it puts it back in. And it's a longer process. But the reason for pl the, why plasma donation may be being offered, um, I'm just I'm preempting this. It might not be true, right? So I'm just simply preempting it, is that it has a longer shelf life. So um, if you've got, you can store this, freeze it for months, and then the, in other countries that have done this, which is Israel, they call it like a quarantine period. So you store the blood. And then you can um, retest that individual when they come in to donate again, like four months later or something. And if there's still HIV, no sign of HIV infection, then they will use the blood they donated four months ago. Got it. Right? So it's, it's, they can hold that blood for a longer period of time, hold that blood product, plasma, for a longer period of time. However, that means every time you go to donate plasma, if you're – a man who has sex with men or a trans woman who has sex with men, every time you go to donate that plasma, no one, no one else has to do this though, you will then need to go back and get retested in the whatever period that may be, three or four months, 
like when you go to donate again. If you don't do that, the blood, you, the plasma you donated prior to that will be dumped because it can't be screened. It must be screened twice. So you get you get screened before you do it, and you get while they and then they uh, put it in quarantine, and then you get screened again. Um, and if it's still you're still age value, they will use the blood. If and if you're not, it gets dumped. So that means two things. If that don't apply to anyone else in the population, I mean, in terms of like this group um, deferral, that means someone has to actually go in, is obligated to go in more than once or they or it will be dumped. Yep. And if you go in and they're obviously HIV negative, I mean, positive, well, you wouldn't worry, of course, then you, okay, well, I am positive, therefore I don't have a problem with the blood I've donated being dumped because it's a safety issue. But you're obliged to keep doing this. And if you don't do it, then it gets dumped. And that is that is um, something that most people probably wouldn't realize on the face of it when they think, oh, at least we can donate plasma now. Yeah. Because that's how it works. It's, it's the quarantine period that you can use for plasma that you can't use for whole blood. Yep. Um, there's a few things I want to discuss, but we've had a really good message in. I'm not going – this is one – we and the running joke on this show is we only have awesome listeners, not regular listeners, and one of our awesome listeners has come in. I'm not, I'm not going to name this person just for, um, unless they email back and give me their permission. Um, great interview with Dr. Sharon Dane. Um, I've always wanted to donate blood but never tried knowing the band. Um, the blood bank would advertise – earlier in this person's life, a blood challenge to community groups and um, this person felt horrible that the peers could donate to our community group total, but this person could not be a part because um, the this email says I was gay. person is now almost 40, still can't donate um, and um, then makes a very good point, which I'd like your opinion on, quote, we have rapid HIV indication tests in the community. Why can't they just do that at the blood centre and and stop the donation if a risk is indicated and test everyone not based on sexuality, end quote. Um, so thank you um, to that awesome listener. And as I say, I'm just going to play ultra safe. Um, as much as I know you're someone who's pretty open about who you are, I'm not going to put a name to air unless I get um, another yeah. email saying so. But um, for, for you, Sharon, the quest, um, Dr. Sharon Dane, um, the question is about um, that rapid HIV indication tests, um, which I'm not an expert on, but it seems like at least a reasonable question to me. Yeah, uh, well, I'm not an expert on that either, so I'll put that forward now. But my, my, I would guess that those tests, while they are good, are not as sensitive as uh, the actual blood screening tests. Uh, it's a bit like the rapid antigen test we take for COVID, right? It's, it's, it's good to have, but it's not as sophisticated as the other tests that Got you get through the lab. So it would still pose a risk. Um, it's good to know yourself, I guess, by having these tests, and it would limit trans, you know, spreading HIV by, by people having it, but it's not safe enough in terms of blood screening. That would be my guess, um, given that the tests that they use for blood screening are very, very sophisticated. Yep. Now, there's lots of, we've thrown lots of sort of pieces of jigsaw in, um, onto the table, so to speak. What we want to assemble is a better policy. What needs to happen to get there? And is there anything that the I don't like the phrase, but we'll say the proverbial um, 
Australian citizen in the suburbs or regions, etc., can do to assist achieving that policy implementation, the change in policy, more quickly and effectively. What do we need to do to get there? Because it's, you know, you've described clearly the lack of logic and the irrationality that's going on. How do we get to a better place? I guess um, it's awareness, like everything. Um, people becoming more aware. I don't think the average person is really aware that um, when they think about, like, for example, men who have sex, men that can't donate, they maybe think, oh, yeah, those who are being risky and whatever. But no, this applies to people that can be in a long-term relationship, never had sex with anyone other than, you know, they've been together for 60 years and never had sex Mm. with anyone. But if they happen to be a man having sex with a man, they can't donate without having abstaining from sex for three months. Now, um, I don't think, you know, if, if the average person in the community were aware of that, how extreme this is, um, it might motivate people to say, look, this is really unfair, especially when we have the tools to screen out any potential risk, uh, at least any what they call meaningful risk. And also that all the science is there. So maybe people need to start making a bit of a noise, you know, let their politicians know, let their representatives know. Um, there There are polls going around you know, be aware when that happens and, and contribute to that. Anything, have a conversation with your neighbours or your friends or your family. Say, did you know that a man who's had sex with a man who's been with that per- person for 50-odd years and never had sex with anyone can't donate blood in Australia? Did you know that, you know? Mm-hmm. So get it out there um, because I think a lot of the time um, things like this happen because the general public is just not truly aware of, of the. It's mm. not that similar to um, marriage equality in the sense mm. people, people said, <clears throat> oh, really? You can't get married? <laughs> yeah. You know? So it's like just get it out there and be, let people become more informed um, so people start making a bit of noise. Absolutely. Um, well, just the last question I think I have for now is where does the proverbial buck stop here? Um, who is responsible for, or who will ultimately have the um, well, power, I suppose, is the word, to make a decision to change? Is it a government minister, government department, agency, recommendation, blah, blah, blah? Yeah, yeah it's Lifeblood Australia, but it's also um, the TGA. So it's not like something they vote on in Parliament. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, there is political pressure um, and there is public pressure. So in order to make any of those changes, and they won't obviously make changes if there's no scientific evidence to support it, but there is. Yeah, There is. And otherwise otherwise the UK wouldn't have made the change and the Netherlands wouldn't have made the change and Germany and France are about looking at making the change. These countries are just as cautious as Australia is Mm -hmm. and maybe in some cases more so, you know. So they've made the change because of the research. Yep. Australia needs to do that, needs to look at this research, be less afraid of an uninformed public, um, and, you know, take a bolder step in this case. Well, bolder, but just almost not bold. It's it's a very... Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I probably bold is not the right room. Like, move along with the rest of the... Of the yeah, rest of move the along community. with the fact, you know, these things called facts and research that hopefully still matter, um, which is so important. Well, yeah, it's actually interesting to note that Australia was the first country, so it was ahead of its time, to remove the blanket ban, lifelong ban for men who have sex with men. Uh-huh. And Australia did that first. Then it was followed by the US and Canada and the UK and France and European countries. It was the first to do that. Now 
it's lagging behind and it, and it's like well if you were bold you know i've used the word bold there probably but they made that decision based on what they thought was the right thing to do back then mm. why when other countries um were behind them in that area and have now moved forward are we dragging the ball yeah a question that needs an answer um but we hope we can well not really get to the answer let's just get through the um getting it done i think is the right. thing the last question I wanted to ask, and then I'll throw if there's anything else you wanted to cover on this whole topic. This is, I get a very strong impression. This is just an area. Yes, it's your research, it's your expertise, but I sense a very strong passion in there as well, Dr. Sharon Dane. Um, um, do you perhaps just want to quickly talk about that, what it is for you that um, engages you in this area of, of work and expertise? Well, it's, I come from a more of a social perspective, like the groups and the discrimination that's involved. Um, mm. That's my, my that's my area of expertise. Um, I've collected research from um, people wh- whose area of expertise is blood donation, right? So that's collectively put together in this report. So in terms of stigma, um, this re- this just reminds me of the old rationale used for many times why. Um, the LGBTI community has been um, excluded from one thing or another when in time it was realized like, you know, why was that so? It mm. didn't make sense to do so. And I think we're in exactly the same place with this. Yeah. It, it Those fears about HIV transmission and about how to screen for it um, are gone, right? Yeah. Uh, we, we know how it's transmitted. We know what the risks are and we have fabulous screening methods. So it's, What's left, though, is the stigma. Um, and you can't f- help but feel that that's what's part of this delay. Mm. Um, and now the, if, if a lifeblood does suggest plasma, um, as Israel did and Canada is just talking about, is like it can appear like a stepping stone, right? It's like the old civil partnership versus marriage argument. Uh-huh. Great it's percent. not necessary. It's just all about perception. Yep. And if we do that first and it's all okay, then we'll make the next step. But we don't need that interim step. That's just going to, all that's going to do is, you know, present more problems of exclusion. And the fact, like I said, that people have to go back or the blood gets dumped. So, uh, and that won't apply to anyone else except people who are deemed to be men who have sex with men. Yeah. So, yeah, I am passionate about that because to me it's this is um, more so about um, all prejudices and exclusion and stigma yep. than, it is, than it is science. Fair enough too and well spoken. Um, anything else that you want? just want to add in on the topic because I think we've got it pretty well covered. No, just I hope everyone has a great Sunday. And um, I look forward to everyone being able, everyone being able to donate blood um, by just having an individual assessment in, the, in a short period of time. That sounds like a wonderful mo- uh, moment to conclude on. If people have more queries for you, you're, you're we'll say, reasonably contactable via um, various means of communication. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, you're trackable on the internet or LinkedIn or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, well, LinkedIn I don't do so much now, because, but um, certainly – through um, email, yeah. And you've got. I can give you those details. Yes. Or use just equal details, actually. That might be the best go. We'll con- get you um, contact you via just equal, um, and of course, um, just equal put out 
media releases and thanks to the media who covered that on um, Friday and in the last couple of days as well, The Guardian and others. Um, Dr. Sharon Dane, thank you for your passion, um, empathy and expertise that you put into the research and your time on the show today. I'll leave you back to your Sunday in whatever time zone. And we look forward sunny, to sunny it. Queensland. Sunny Queensland, yes. Wish That's I could it. be um, up there sometime soon with um, my um, family of origin, but um, um, hopefully, oh, so, hopefully around see. December seventeen. Um, I better get uh, get That's those flights booked. Day. Yep. Um, but um, thank you again, and um, just hang on a sec while I get some music rolling, and um, we'll go from there. Thanks very much for thank your time. You. It's a pleasure. Bye bye. Dr. Sharon Dane on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au, 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan with Sally. You just crossed my mind again, I'm not sure how you snuck in soon. If it's your intention to fill my every thought with you, it's working. Every hour, every day, I'm finding that there's no escape from wanting. Tease my senses till they ache, twist my conscience till it breaks. I'm falling into temptation. You, you started this fire.
Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am. Tune in and listen up. Three CR eight five five AM. Three CR digital. Three CR dot org dot au. Three CR on demand. Out of the pan with Sally on a Sunday afternoon is when we first broadcast noon through one Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Or if you're in Queensland at the moment, that's a standard time from eleven till noon. And that was where our guest Sharon Dane was um, today. What an informative. Um, Thoughtful, um, you know, um, inter- um, comments, um, concise to the point, research based. We love it. Also, love the music on uh, this show, knowing no boundaries of sex, gender, or genre. Prior to the message, there we heard from Glenn Campbell the title track of his album Bloodline, which seemed appropriate to play today on his show when we're talking about blood donation. Um, and before that, Michelle Parsons, um, Under My Skin. Um, whatever you're doing involving skin and blood, do it safely. And just again, we opened up the show with you two from live under a blood red sky, Sunday, bloody Sunday. Anyone would think this show was planned and you'd be largely wrong. Um, got a comment in from Hoffler. Hello, Hoffler. You're listening in at a cafe because you can. I agree with that. Inter- interesting interview. Yeah. Um, happy caffeine. Um, or you might not have caffeine, but happy food and drink um, and sitting. Um, I have to say I did the same on Friday when I could. Um, didn't really need to, but I could. It's just nice to have it back and went for a swim and the nails are looking glamorous, darling, on my end. So um, it is good to be oot and a boot again, to have that freedom um, here in metropolitan Melbourne. Um, and gradually, of course, we'll ripple out and around. I did catch some news that, um, you know, on we are now looking at 6pm next Friday for the ending of the, well, the artificial steel war between Metro and regional Victoria. And um, then when we get to 90%, which was around November the 23rd to 6th, um, be pretty um, as much, we'll say, COVID normal as we're going to get for those who are vaccinated. But, um, you know, sort of not going to get into detail there. Um, do want to thank um, all the LGBTIQA plus organisations who banded together for the Fab Jab Week, um, which might still be going. Lots of organisations where you can um, go and get a, a vax, um, um, your vaccines done. You know, we'll say if you're willing and able, we acknowledge that in parts of our communities, there may be some with medical conditions who genuinely can't get it. I'm not a doctor by any means, but um, that may be a reason for hesitancy. But I have to say I have had a couple of reports come through on the issue of COVID testing where people have gone to testing centres, trans people and been misgendered, 
which is not helpful. And I do know that it is being worked on at high levels. And if you do have any information on that, please get it through to me because I can get it through to people and they'll then tar, um, sort of target COVID testing centres where they're not doing it right and can be more preventative. I'm happy to assist in that in part of our community on every level. Um and, of course, um, we are about to hit Australian Ace Week, I found out. Um, um, you know, we, um, we've sort of been through um, Ace Week on an international level, but I understand it's a, um, there's an Australian one coming up this week. I got followed by a couple of people on Tweeterland. Um, so that's really important. And, of course, Intersex Awareness Day this coming Tuesday. Um, thanks again to Cody, who was our guest last week, um, for Cody's great um, analysis on um, um, on intersex. And I'm smiling because of the um, wonderful gift that Hoffler has just sent me. Um, I love it. Um, a dog floating in a pool on a, a lilo. Um, very awesome. Um, yes, I was in the pool 8.30 Friday. And the, by a couple of muscles screamed, but it was worth it. Um, anyway, that's all I've got time for today. Freedom of Species coming up um, next. Um, not sure what's rotating in for rotations at two, um, but there will be a podcast going up of all the rotation specials um, gradually over time. Um, I did get contacted about that during the week, um, so watch for that, and I'll certainly put announcements um, throughout the social media channels. And um, then Queering the Air at three, the next three hours of great entertainment and listening on 3CR. Take it out today with, well, another hard-rocking woman, as long, along with Michelle Parsons, who did Under My Skin. Um, here's the late, great Chrissy Amphlett heading up the Divinals and Motion. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch ya next week.